Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Love by Reason show, the place where we find easier ways to love and to be human. Emotional adulting made simple. I am your host, Moni Love. I'm not a killer, but don't push me. Hail Mary. Tupac Shakur. The Seven Day Theory. Hello and welcome back, my emotional adulters, to the final installment of my conflict series. This is the last episode to my podcast season one, but also to my conflict series. This is The Art of War, Conflict Part 3, The Method. Now I've got at least seven pillars of artillery here. And I mean like... This is some shit that's really going to make you a boss at any conflict. Conflict with your friends, conflict with your boss, conflict with your kid, conflict with your partner. These are the tried and true basic but most powerful gold nugget approaches, methods to resolving conflict like a boss, right? So understand that this is not how to win a fight. I want to be very clear here that I already told you in in part two that conflict is not about winning, okay? It's about resolving. So the methods I'm going to give you right now, the nuggets I'm going to give you right now are going to make you a skilled warrior at resolving conflict. And that's good because when you know how to resolve, then you can evolve and you can grow. And I mean, is that not What we're trying to do here, is that not what we're doing as emotional adulters? That's what it's all about. So let's get right into it. Conflict, part three, the art of war. Okay, number one. First thing you want to do when you're having a conflict with someone is you don't want to say anything that you are going to regret, okay? I already explained to you that when we are mad, it's very uncomfortable, but it also activates the part of our brain that is fight, flight, or freeze. That's the frontal part of our brain, the tiger brain, okay? And when you're in your tiger brain, you don't think because the hippocampus is offline, the amygdala is offline. So you immediately want to do one of those three things. And the problem with that is that it makes us react. And when we're reacting, we're not responding, right? Because when you respond, you're using thoughts, words, reason. But when you're reacting, you're acting on impulse and instinct. And you're likely to do more damage when you're when you're in your tiger brain. Now, I'm not going to tell you don't go to your tiger brain because that's instinct. You can, No one can tell you not to do that. That's how you're wired. But what I am going to tell you is refrain from saying things that you don't mean or that you can't take back. Because there's nothing worse in a conflict than when you do or say something that you can't come back from, you know, that you can't then move forward in the relationship from, you know. And that's very tricky because when you do and you say things that are reckless and sloppy and just kind of out of anger, you know, I mean, yeah, of course we all want to do that, but you need to be judicious about that because. Like I said, there's nothing worse than 
after the smoke's cleared, after you've calmed down, after you kind of were like, oh, wow, I miss this person. I want to, I want to see them again. I want to talk to them again. If, if you've said or done something bad enough, then that person might not trust you anymore, you know, or that person might not respect you anymore, or that person may not like you anymore, you know? So when you're in the moment of anger, it's, it's never a good idea to say things that you don't mean. I mean, you can say, and you can yell and however you, however you express, I mean, I'm not going to tell you what to say. I'm just saying, just be judicious about saying things that you can't take back. What you should do instead is take space. But before I go into that, I want to put, there's a step actually before that. Number two, that I really needed to wedge in here because people do this shit all the time and it's a slappy flipping mess. Do not, and I repeat, do not text fight. Do not fight over texting. I know that nobody's going to listen to me when I tell them this because everybody is very addicted to their phones. Everyone's addicted to texting. Everyone's addicted to just blurting all their stuff, all their feelings and words out now, you know, because of social media. But I really feel strongly about this because texting is the most useless way to resolve an argument. All right. Let me tell you something that you guys don't know. No argument in the history of, 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 of modern age has ever been resolved over texting. Think of any time that you fought with somebody over a screen. Think about whether or not that fight was resolved. You know, was it ever, what, what fights have you ever resolved and come to an understanding, come to an agreement, come to, you know, over texting, especially in the heat of the moment? Texting when you're angry is very deceptive because while it feels like you're making your point and getting that person to understand you better, what's really happening in actuality, all you're doing is these three things. You're vomiting your feelings, you are debating petty points, and you are saying things or you're, you know, creating the conditions to say things that are brazen. You know, once again, saying things that you don't mean or that other person could be saying things they don't mean. But my point is that texting is not the right conditions to have any healthy exchange, especially conflict, right? The other thing too is I don't want to go into all the details of you can't read that person's facial expression. You can't get a sense of that person's tone, you know, you can't get a sense of that person's like, whether they're sarcastic or they're not, or they're serious or they're, or they're sentimental. You can't get any of that from a screen. So it's just, it's just so grossly inefficient. And if I sound like irritated and aggravated by it, it's because I am. It really bothers me that people don't see how inefficient it is to fight over a screen. So anyway, like I said, rule number two, no fighting over texting is completely off limits. It is a big fat foul. The only thing that you are permitted to text during a fight is, I'm angry. I don't want to talk about this right now. Let's talk about this later over the phone or face-to-face. Or, hey, you know what? I know that you're angry with me. Text me a time when you're ready to talk about it. Okay, number three, take space. So we talked a little bit about what happens when we get angry, right? I told you that the amygdala, which is the part of the brain that controls our reasoning and our like thinking it through, goes offline. And then the 
hippocampus, the part of our brain that uses words and communication to communicate how we feel, um, that also goes offline or it malfunctions. So it's very important to get these parts of the brain back online in order to be effectual at resolving conflict. And the best way to get them back on online is to take a break from the fight. It's to either remove yourself, put your phone down, leave the situation. You know, certainly this is not to say that I support people in the middle of a fight, like just leaving. You know, you need to communicate that to your partner. You need to say, hey, you know what? I'm getting overwhelmed. I'm getting flooded. I need to take space in order to know how to approach this in a productive way. You don't just get to leave. That is atrocious emotional adulting. You do need to communicate that. But I'm just saying that it's important. It's it's effective to um, to take space, to take a break, you know, but also take a break with the intentions of coming back and to expressly communicate that. Another disclaimer about taking space. Taking space does not mean give your partner or your person that you're fighting with a silent treatment. Because when you're giving people the silent treatment, it's really just your way of saying, I'm right and I'm going to be silent until that other person figures out that I'm right. That's not what taking space is. And another thing to consider about taking space is how long to take space. Like you might be wondering like, well, how long do I do this? You do it for as long as it takes for your impulse, okay, your tiger brain, for your impulse to react, you know, to yell, to scream or whatever, whatever is unproductive to come down enough for you to respond and in turn communicate. Which brings me to number four. As you're taking space, tolerate the emotional cycling that your body and brain emotions will do in the heat of anger, right? Just like I talked about in the breakup series, your body's going to go through a, a flooding, a circling, a cycling of all kinds of feelings when you're angry. So tolerate that. Now, I'll tell you what, you're not going to tolerate it well if you're in that person's presence still arguing about it. The only way that you're going to be able to even work through that or even tolerate it the best is when you take a break from the argument. So tolerate the feelings, but then in response to the flooding of feelings and the flooding of thoughts in your brain, go do something to self-soothe. Go do something that's healthy to help yourself to calm down. You know, and that's different for everybody. I know that this all sounds very elementary, but it's real shit. Like, conflict is really a chemical reaction, and that's really what I'm getting at. I'm trying not to talk, go into that because I don't want to be boring, but it's really a chemical reaction. So if you can acknowledge that this is a chemical reaction that's happening in your body and your brain, then it makes sense to address that first so that you can achieve your goal, which is to resolve the conflict. And to feel calm and happy again, and also feel synchronized and aligned with that person again. So rule number four, self-soothe, tolerate the feelings. Okay, number five, my emotional adulterers, if you remember nothing of this method, if you remember none of these rules and methods to conflict, I want you to remember this one thing, because this is the most important aspect of resolving conflict with anyone. 
When you take space and after you've self-soothed and calmed down, you then want to sit down with yourself and figure out why whatever happened to you, whatever was said, whatever the conflict is about, figure out why it bothers you so much. If you want to be the most deadly resolver of conflict, this is your greatest weapon. Okay. Now, let me be clear. I don't mean that you should say, well, I'm angry because what that person was said was disrespectful, you know, or, you know, I'm mad because I didn't like the way that person was talking to me. No, that's like some basic, like elementary shit. We're talking about some senior level introspection, like senior level emotional adulting. Okay. You're going to get past, you know, the level one, the sort of tip of the iceberg part of of your feelings, and you're going to go really deep now. Okay. As I mentioned to you before, conflict is really uncomfortable because it brushes on the past. That's really why conflict is so uncomfortable. And the way that we know that is because if you think about it, everybody gets mad for different reasons. Haven't you ever noticed that the things that make you mad will not make someone else mad and vice versa? That's because we all, as I said in part one, we have a different past perspective and a different personality. So, because otherwise we'd all get mad about the same things, right? And we'd all get mad with the same intensity about the same things. So there's a reason why the intensity that you have about this particular conflict is at the level it's at. And the best way to to handle that is to sit down with yourself and think what past experience does this brush on? Okay, so let me give you an example. This weekend, I was at a conference and I was sitting in the back of the conference against a wall. I was actually sitting on the floor. That was just more comfortable for me. And I was whispering and asking some clarifying questions about what the speaker was talking about to the person next to me. And wouldn't you know, this lady in the, in the, in the last row, she was sitting in the last row, she turned around and she got out of her seat. She walked towards me and she shushed me and she went back to her seat. Now, in the moment, I was like stunned because it happened so quickly. Like it literally, the whole, that whole thing happened in like, I don't know, maybe six seconds. But I immediately got angry. You know, I immediately got defensive. Like, fuck you, lady. Like, don't shush me. I'm an adult. Like, don't tell me what to do. Like, I was really offended with good reason. You know, most people would, would be offended by that. And in the moment, there wasn't an opportunity for me to respond. And anyway, I wouldn't have responded because I was in my tiger brain. So I would have just reacted. I wanted to attack her. I wanted to attack her back with words. I felt very attacked by that. So anyway, I went home and I ruminated about it. So that's a really good indication that you're activated, that you're like, that this is pressing on something inside because I was like thinking about it over and over. Like that lady, like, why didn't I say that? Why didn't I, you know what I mean? Like I'm kind of beating myself up over it now. So I did some self-soothe, I exercised, I ate, I watched the game you know, did some things to kind of take care of myself. Next morning I meditated, but at some point I sat with myself 
and got really honest with myself about why that bothered me. So you guys might not know this about me, but I'm a Leo. And one thing about us Leos is that we absolutely hate to be humiliated. We hate to be made a fool of. In fact, to a Leo, that's like the height of disrespect. To make fun of to make fun of us and make a fool of us, like that's very disrespectful. Because we're very ego driven and, and it's a huge blow to our ego. So we tend to take being made a fool of very personally. So the second thing, you guys don't know this, but I have a very long history of really shitty friendships with girls. I mean like mean girls, like from the time I was in grammar school, well into adulthood, I, for whatever reason, was drawn to, and they in turn too were drawn to me, girls and women that were mean, you know, that were, that were very, you know, unacknowledging of my feelings, were very um, minimizing of my experience of them when it was unpleasant, very like dismissive of how they treated me. They just were bitches. And when that lady shushed me, it pressed on those experiences, you know, because that lady, when she did that, she felt very emboldened to do that. She felt very entitled to do that. And the experiences I've had with this entourage of girls and friendships I had with them, thank God they ended, was that. It was a lot of over and over of them putting me down, making a fool of me, you know, talking shit to me, and sometimes me putting up with it and sometimes me not. But in the end, the feeling that I'm left with or my body remembers is feeling powerless. So as irony would have it, I saw that lady the next day at the conference and I confronted her. But this time I was able to come from a place that was, you know, like, calm and just direct, you know, just kindly direct rather than activated and angry, you know, because then my message was probably better received. I mean, I don't know what she's going to do with it. I don't really care. But the victory here is that I recognized for myself what that anger was about. And then I was then able to respond and communicate about it rather than, you know, recklessly act out over it. When you can acknowledge it and be aware of it for yourself, you then have power, you have control, you have voice and choice. Now, this lady is a stranger. So when I, when I confronted this lady, it was not an involved conversation. I literally just said, look, you shushed me. I didn't like it. It was rude. It was offensive. You know, don't do it again or don't do that to any adult, whatever. But let's say that this lady was my friend. Okay, let's say that this was a person that I had an ongoing relationship with. In this sort of reconvening of the of the fight, I would say to that person, you know, when you did that, it made me feel humiliated. And it also brushed on past experiences I've had with other women that were not pleasant, right? And I and I owned that. I acknowledged that for myself. That is my own history and my own stuff. But I just want you to know that you need to know that when you do that, that's what it brings up for me. Now, we have no idea how the other person is going to respond to you when you say that. The most important thing about 
approaching it this way is you've now moved past the I'm mad and you pissed me off and or I'm angry and it's your fault. You've elevated way past that because what you're providing now is information and data that has the power to enhance and for adjustments to the relationship to be made for now the relationship to be better and for the opportunity for conflict like this to reduce. That's the true power of this principle. When you can make yourself vulnerable to someone else and say, you know what, I really dug deep and figured out why this really bothers me and what past experiences that it resonates for me, you have then created the conditions for the re-experiencing of this with that person to happen less. Because what I learned from my graveyard of shitty, bitchy girlfriends is that if that person values you and values the relationship, they're going to take accountability for their part in it. But moreover, they're going to use that data to inform the way that they interact with you moving forward. Powerful shit. That brings me to number six. This rule is very clever. It's figure out how you would like to proceed in the relationship after you confront the conflict from a calmer state, right? Now, I say this because there's lots of ways that people can respond to you, even when you're calm, even when you've thought about it, even when you've dug deep. You still have no control or idea of how that person's going to respond. That person can be a complete dick about it. So that's why it's important for you to know for yourself how you would like to proceed if they are, right? That's good because it gives you some control. It gives you some power. It gives you some voice and choice, okay? So think to yourself, okay, if they respond like this, like say, for example, if they are, if they are dismissive about it, then I will discontinue the relationship. Or if they are minimizing of my feelings, then I will adjust the way that I will adjust the closeness in the relationship. Or even better, if they take accountability for their part in it and process it with me, maybe even offer an apology, then I am now free to get even closer in the relationship and to trust more in the relationship. But either way, you never want to assume that your confronting of the conflict is going to go well or it's going to go in your favor. Instead, consider other options for yourself for when it doesn't go well. Okay, last, number seven. If you are satisfied or mostly satisfied with how the conflict has resolved, do not, and I repeat, do not hold a grudge. This means that you must now let go, and I mean really cut loose your mad feelings towards that person, your resent feelings towards that person, your angry feelings towards that person. Holding a grudge is the worst tool for 
dealing with conflict. It's literally up there with angry texting and to silent treatment. It's really fucking ineffectual because what it does is it stunts the growth of the relationship because what it does is it keeps the relationship in this holding pattern of I'm only going to be happy with you if you never do that again. And whenever you have those if then conditions in the relationship, you're always going to set yourself up for failure. And this is why, because conflict, as I told you in part one, is inevitable. Conflict is embedded in all the relationships you have. So when you hold a grudge, you can't fully experience joy, joy of any kind, but especially the joy of the relationship, the joy of the other person, you know, and you can't fully see them either because you're, if you're holding a grudge, you're constantly looking at them through the lens of your own pain that was resonated by them, right? So you can't fully enjoy that person anymore. And in turn, that other person can't trust you. So it's a no-win it's a no-win situation to hold a grudge. The worst part of holding a grudge is that it anchors you, literally like quicksand anchors you in your pain of your past experiences. It doesn't give you any opportunity to acknowledge what's happened to you and then learn from it and grow from it. It keeps you in the worst holding pattern. Grudges are worthless. So if you simply can't move through, and I mean, even after you've dug deep about it, you've thought about wherever you are in your process about it, if you can't move past it, and if you're not interested or willing to do any healthy work around it, you're better off discontinuing your relationship with that person than holding a grudge against them. It's better to just discontinue the relationship with somebody that you're going to hold a grudge against than to continue to have a relationship with a person as you're holding a grudge against them. Because like I said, it completely, grudges completely stymie the relationship. It keeps it in this murky, gross, arrested development holding pattern, right? Another byproduct of this too is that of holding grudges is it, it compromises your ability to connect with other people because you then look at all relationships as, oh, well, I don't want to get too close because what if that person offends me? What if they piss me off? What if they, you know, what if they hurt me? You know, once again, a smarter way to deal with life's conflict instead of hold a grudge about it is find healthier skills to address it and move through it. And which is what this part three is designed to do. So we did it. We covered all the steps to the method. You are now fully equipped and fully armored to go into battle and to slay conflict like an emotional adulting boss. And also in conclusion, I have written a acrostic poem to sum up this episode. Acrostic is that poem where you write the like first, it's like the first letter of the, of the word, you know, the, the, you learned it in like the sixth grade. Anyway, this poem is called Talk About It, Conflict in 11 Lines. T, take accountability and responsibility for your part in the conflict. A, agree to talk, not yell. L, listen to each other, learn something new, let go of grudges. K. Know beforehand how you would like to explain yourself. Come to the discussion prepared. A. Ask questions rather than accuse. B. Be open and receptive rather than judgy and blaming. O. Offer an apology. U. 
Use I statements that express feelings and past experiences instead of you statements that ridicule and shame. T. Time the talk appropriately. Choose a time that is convenient for both of you and in a place you will not be interrupted. I. Invite each other to share candid thoughts, feelings, and preferences. T. Talk about it. My emotional adulters, thank you. I adore you. Farewell, season one. That's it for this week's episode of the Love by Reason show. Be sure to tune in next week for more easier ways to adult. The Love by Reason show is brought to you by me, Monique Laguerre, LCSW. I can be reached on Instagram and Twitter at monilove33, also via email at lovebyreason at gmail.com. I truly appreciate you, my listeners, for your support. If you enjoyed what you heard today, would like to leave some feedback, or just say hey, you are welcome, more than welcome, to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again, listeners, and as always, I encourage you to be kind, be you, and believe that you can be better.